Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. As promised, we are bringing a transfer special with a very special guest as well. We've actually only met a handful of times in real life, but he is the man that I go to for my transfers. It is Sky Sports' very own Darmish Seth. How are you, man? Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. I'm talking about transfers again. (laughs) This is the last time, I promise, and you can go on your holiday and have a great time. (laughs) In this podcast, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, we want to talk about how transfers happen, the ins and outs of the deals, because of course we all see on Sky when a deal goes through or when there's potentially rumours, but I feel like there's a lot more to transfers. Having worked on the transfer show, I've been seeing some of the conversations that happen. What is it like for you, first of all, to do that for three months straight? Because it is non-stop, isn't it? Yeah, this one felt particularly long, I've got to say, because I think it opened on 10th of June or something. So we were, I, I bespoke shows, as you know, you've been on the morning shows. They they didn't start until the beginning of August, but transfers were happening from like the 10th of June, basically. Like a lot of the big ones uh, were happening quite early. I know that Manchester United did a lot of their deals a little bit later in the window during August, but like, you know, things like Erling Haaland and Darwin mm. Nunes, those two big ones, they'd already been done before we'd even started our show. So there was a lot of business going on early doors. But it, this one was a slog. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. It was just relentless because it, I thought it would slow down. There wasn't even a lull in there at all. It was just like, it just seemed constant. And so many clubs were doing so much business, Leicester apart. Of course, we know what the, the situation is there. But like, you know, clubs like West Ham, Tottenham did their business early. Arsenal had a good window. United were doing stuff early, then late. Liverpool and City actually 
unlike them, went to deadline day. Mm. Didn't expect that to happen. And they both brought in a player officially on deadline day. So, and Chelsea as well. They they did um, some business and, and some high profile business on deadline day as well. So from June the 10th, right up until 11 o'clock and beyond on September the 1st, it was nonstop. What is that actually like when you're at your desk? Because for those that don't know, um, you're in the office. I walk through, go to my show, see you in passing. And from the moment you sit down, I feel like you're already on the phone. You're getting emails through. Is it actually like that all the time? It's felt like that way on this one, I've got to say. Um, I mean, it depends what kind of deals you're chasing and stuff. There'll be certain deals that you've got contacts for. There'll be other deals that you'll hear about, other deals that you'll read about, but you've got to still chase them, right? Because Mm. look, at the end of the day, I know like, you know, lots of, it's a, it's a, no win situation you're going to get criticized whatever you do and a lot of these things and you know oh sky sports news you're so slow why i've already read this all this kind of thing but what people don't realize is that we've got a certain protocol that we have to go through so if i get a story from an agent and i believe it to be true i can't just put that story out i have to run it past both clubs not for permission but just to give them the heads up that we'll be running this story Mm. unless there's any issues. And if they come back to us and say, look, don't run it. It's complete nonsense. Then likelihood is we wouldn't run it. But normally you get a response. If you'll really back your own judgment on a particular story and you know, it's true, they'll come back to you and say, look, we're not going to comment on this. And so there'll be nothing from the club officially, but it's kind of, our like green light to know mm. yeah, actually you know what this is true so we can go ahead and do it in the case of that then if, if an agent calls you and says my player is going to x place you then call the club and club the club says well that's not happening does that sort of hint towards potentially that like the transfer window feels like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors like there's a lot of things going on agents are trying to do certain things to get certain players, certain wages, etc. I feel like and then you're just trapped in the middle. You're getting the calls to try and be the person who's pushing one direction or the other yeah yes and no i mean i've been doing it a few years now and what i have realized i've got like a sheet of paper that i'll show you it's got all my contacts on there oh wow and i basically i basically just call my trusted 10 you know I, mm. that i know are going to be doing deals because i'll always get calls as well from people who will have passed, have been passed my number from one of the contacts I've got. And the red flag for me during a transfer window is when I get uh, an agent who I haven't really spoken to, an intermediary who I haven't really spoken to that much, who says there's seven clubs interested in this player. (laughs) Because the red flag for me is then, what's the eighth club who you want to push by getting this information out? And I've got to tell them, I said, look, if you if you want to name all the clubs, I'm going to have to call every single club or contact every single club to see if this is true. And they'll be like, oh, well, yeah. And then maybe, you know, you can get around it by saying, you know, there are a number of Premier League clubs who have expressed an interest and you don't name the clubs. Then it's not really that big of a story. Yeah, I think speaking of the other people out in the space i think the transfer space has changed a lot right like over the years people would just watch sky sports deadline day now obviously the emergence of fabrizio romano um it 
I don't know how this man was birthed by the transfer window, but he was. (laughs) And um, when he says, here we go, it's now gospel. What is it like having someone like that in the space? I don't know what your connection to him is. I don't know how well you know him, but if you could like talk us into what that's like, I'd be really, really interested to know. No, no problem at all. Look, at the end of the day, um, this is what I always tell my contacts. I say to them, when I speak to them and they've got a story, but they don't want me to run it, my my um, approach is this. I say, look, just because you're not going to tell me and you don't want me to run it, it might get out there from somewhere mm. else. Oh, no, 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 it won't because I'm the only one with the information. Well, you say that, but the two clubs that are involved in this deal, someone might have a contact with one of those clubs. So then what are you going to do when you've got no control about how this story is going to get out? So I'm trying to tell them, why don't we come up with a form of words and then we can you can have an element of control. And of course, that's going to help me because it means <laughs> I'm going to get the story. Look, they know that. I, I tell them that, look, it's going to help me, of course, but it can help you have a bit of control over it as well. So that's a bit of a battle sometimes. And, you know, someone who's given me a story and they said, no, don't run it. And I'm saying, okay, I won't. Then it's out there, so call them back. It's out there now. What do you want to mm. do? And then there's suddenly playing catch up. I'll write it like this. Well, if we write it like that, we're behind someone mm. anyway. So everyone, there's a lot of people out there who are very good journalists, not least with transfers. We all know who they are. You know, the likes of Di Marzio, Romano, David Ornstein, John Percy, a lot of people who don't work for Sky, of course. And everyone's going to have their own contacts. You can't get every single story. The trick is to try, and, and they don't get every single story. Because the difference is, there are different people doing different transfers, right? So Ornstein will get one story, but he won't get another one. Does that mean he's not a good transfer reporter? No. I might get a couple of good stories, but might not get the one that Romano's got, the one Ornstein's got. That's the way it goes. You can't Mm. cover every single one. But with Sky Sports, because we need to reflect all of the big ones, if we don't necessarily get a big one, but it's out there and it's normally a trusted person who's done it like an Ornstein or a Di Marzio, then it's, we've got to go and chase it. And yeah. so we need to get in touch with our contacts, with the clubs and say, we're going to do it in this form of words. And I know everyone says, I mean, I saw social media during deadline day. Oh, there's Darmesh looking at his phone. He's just looking <laughs> at Twitter. There are sources. <laughs> Believe it or not. No, I wasn't doing that. I was <laughs> speaking to a few people yes some of the story might have been out there but just because a story's out there i can't run it without getting it firmed up with a source or a contact that i've got so sometimes you're going to be late sometimes you're going to be before people so the way it goes just on the point of fabrizio romano and, and i know so many people have been flooding us with questions how did fabrizio romano become the the here we go guy, like with 11.5 million followers or whatever it is. 11.6, yeah. wasn't it? Last yeah. count. Maybe 11.6. He's growing 100,000 every day when yeah, transfer yeah. window comes around. He's the happiest man in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. As you mentioned, obviously you have you get some of the deals, you know some of the deals, David Ornstein, other journalists as well. Mm. How is it that Fabrizio Romano's sort of become the filter to that in the end, just out of interest? Uh, I don't know, but fair play to him. I mean, mm. he... He has, he gets stories. And I think when Fabrizio gets his stories, he puts exclusive on them. Mm. But then he also reflects like a whole 
bunch of other people. He is relentless. So, I mean, it's like if Ornstein puts something out, he will then put it on his Twitter page and say, as per David Ornstein. Mm. And I'm sure he's doing his checks like we would have to do our checks, you know? So if, if, if Ornstein or myself or Carve or John Percy or whoever else or Demarcio has got a story and, Romano, and, it's, and it's before Romano, he will always make his checks, I'm sure, to say, is this true? Yeah, and then he'll put the story out as per David Ornstein mm. or whatever. So it's incredible how he's packaged himself. I've got to just, you've got to doff your cap to him. It's like yeah. incredible. Like he's got more followers than some football clubs, like big football clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mate, amazing. It's a, it's a fascinating concept, the whole Fabrizio Romano. I think one day Netflix will do a documentary on him <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's, it's unheard of how a man has just become the, the go-to, but also the here-we-go guy for transfers. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to take a little break. Come up with, come up with a tagline. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's, as you said, the way he's marketed it and almost yeah. like become a magician. He's become a magician of the art, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and knows how to package things. Um, we're going to take a little break and come back. We're going to talk about a few clubs in specific and also a few deals that didn't happen. So stay tuned. Look, Manchester United, for, for starters, their stance remains unchanged. Cristiano Ronaldo is not for sale. Ronaldo's stance, we think that that's unchanged as well. He still wants to leave Manchester United to get Champions League football to challenge for big trophies as well. Let's take a look at transfers from start to finish because I think the process of transfers to the audience, even to myself, is you get a call tomorrow from Antonio Conte's right-hand man who says Spurs are signing X player. You then do the checks, you go to TV, you tell the story and then the deal either happens or it doesn't happen. But I'm guessing it's not that clear-cut from... A all the way to the end of the chain. Uh, you summed it up. It pretty much is like that. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you get a story from a contact. You've got to make that judgment first of all. How uh, much do you trust the contact? Um, how likely is this story? And then I will then come up with a form of words based on that information that I've got, and then speak to the clubs that are involved in that deal. Is so in that process, how do leaks happen then? Because not from your end, I mean, generally, sometimes transfers get leaked and that's where obviously the perception builds that sky is slow or whoever is slow. Who on what party? It all depends. It's a, different people are going to have different relationships with people, right? So the person who's given me a story might have a relationship with someone on a newspaper because they might think, I want to get this story out on Sky Sports, but I also want to get it out on, in a newspaper on a newspaper, on an online newspaper, or Fabrizio, because he's got this many million followers. Yeah. So it might not be the case where I have a contact and they're just going to exclusively come to me. I'm not naive enough to think that, as I'm sure the other guys and girls who are doing these stories are not naive enough to think that. But then there's other ways that people can get a story because it might not just be the agent. There might be a club who might want to get this story out as well. Why would Sometimes a club, why would a club Sometimes that? that can happen because you might have a story that a club is trying to buy a player, but it's slow or it's not happening. And they might want it out there that it's slow and it's not happening. And maybe leak somewhere that they're looking at an alternative target. So imagine that a club is after player X and that's their number one target. 
but they're finding it very difficult to negotiate and get that deal over the line, even though they know that the club wants to sell player X to them. There might be an issue with the fee, the personal terms or the structure or the add-ons or whatever it is. So if you're the club trying to buy that player, would it work in your favour if someone from that club told somebody, mm-hmm. actually, you know what? He's not the only target we've got. We're looking at alternatives as well. So if that suddenly went into the uh, public domain, the selling club sometimes might think, oh, this big money we're dealing with here. We do want to do the deal, but we want to do it on our terms, but they're looking at other players now. So mm. what do we do? So sometimes that can happen both ways. It can, I mean, not necessarily for me, uh, a club would necessarily do that. But if I go to a club with a story and say, look, I hear these two clubs are in talks, you and this other club are in talks over this player, they might not deny it. So I can run that story, but they might also add, he's not the only target. We're Mm -hmm. looking at a number of players in that position. And for all I know, that is the truth because that's what, clubs would do normally they wouldn't just go into a transfer window and say right we're going to try and get this player if we can't get him we're not going to sign anyone because they need to fill that position right Mm. so sometimes deals won't happen I I just compare it sometimes to I think Carve did this comparison once on one of our shows about to buying a house so if you go and view a house and you like the house and you think Shall I make an offer or not? Let me think about it. So the house is the player. Mm -hmm. I like the player. Shall I make an offer on it? I'm not sure. Let wait a couple of days. Then you go to the estate agent and say, I want to put an offer down for this house. The asking price is 500,000 pounds. I don't want to pay that much. I'm going to offer 400,000 pounds. Knowing full well, probably that's going to get rejected. You go in. The club is going to go in with a lower offer with the player. How many times does uh, a club make the first offer and the deal gets done? Mm. Very rarely. Same with a house. But then also, you're looking at one house, but you also know that there'll be other people looking at that house. And you think, I'm going to have to look elsewhere as well because there are other houses that I might like as well. It's the same thing. You're going to look at other players as well. Hence why a deal... For a house, when you view it in the morning, you're not going to buy it in the evening. Mm. It's the same thing with the player. It takes time. So I think there's a lot of like posturing, a lot of shadow boxing, I like to call it, earlier on in the window when clubs are trying to buy players. The Anthony deal is a case in point. United could have signed Anthony at the start of the window for 80 million euros. They didn't want to offer that much at the start of the window. They just said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Whereas Ajax were in a great position. They said 80 million euros, that's the asking price. That's what we're going to sell him for right now because we need to get an equivalent of that player if we're going to spend the money. So United focused on other targets. They looked at alternative targets to Anthony. They looked at trying to fill the central midfield position. Mm. And then when that kind of didn't materialise, towards the end of the window, they went back in for Anthony. So if you're Ajax and Man United are interested in your player two months ago, but don't meet the asking price. And then with four or five days to go of the window, they come back. What are you going to do as Ajax? You're not going to sell them out 80 million euro. Yeah, fine. We'll do it at the same price. Of course not. 
that mm. the timing has changed in the window. So suddenly Ajax will say, we want a lot more than that because you're leaving us very little time to try and bring in a replacement. The player doesn't want to, the player wants to go. We understand that, but we are not going to let him go unless we get compensated fully. Because if we can't bring in a replacement, then how we're going to compensate ourselves is by raising the price mm. to compensate for the fact that we're not going to be able to bring in a like for like for Anthony straight away. So timing of a window that impacts so many things as well. The mm. later in the window you go, there's a perceived desperation from a buying club. The later you go to so selling clubs in a good position, let's just add a few million onto the price because we can. I think United are a very interesting topic in, yeah. in particular this transfer window because the business was up and down. Suddenly Casemiro came out of nowhere. Um, mm. The man that we're chasing for the entire window was Frankie de Jong. Oh, God, don't wake up in a cold sweat hearing that. <laughs> I said it every single day for three months. <laughs> How how does a deal like that not go through when the players, well, from what we're told on this end, and hopefully you can let us in a bit more, is Frankie Dion wants to go to somewhere, doesn't want to take a salary cut. Barca want him to take a salary cut. Manchester United are interested. He fits what Ten Hag wants. Um, and on top of that, United don't have any other options currently. Liverpool are supposedly partially interested. And at the end of the window, he's still at Barcelona. He's played a little bit of time at centre-back where he doesn't want to play. And clearly the player is upset. You'd imagine his agent could have got the deal over the line. How does a deal like that not go through? Well, the information that I was getting, that as far as United were concerned with this particular one, this was a unique one because United and Barcelona had agreement in principle way, way back. This was like near the start of the transfer window. They'd agreed mm. 72 million pounds. That will, will get Frankie de Jong from Barcelona to Man United. So United had done everything that they could to do this deal. What they weren't in control of was the issues between Barcelona and De Jong, because this was a completely unique situation. We'd never seen anything like this happen to a big club with what Barcelona were doing in this mm. transfer window. And De Jong was almost like the poster boy for what was happening at Barcelona during this transfer window, simply because at the start of the window, they were bringing in players like Frank Kessie, Andreas Christensen, but they were going in the free market. They didn't have to spend any money on transfer fees. And it then transpired, there's an economic issue there. So that's why they can't do that. They've got loads of their squad who've taken pay cuts during the pandemic and loads of owed deferred wages. So while this was all going on, Barcelona still wanted to bring in players to the likes of Jules Kunde, Rafinha, Robert Lewandowski, who were going to cost the transfer fee. So to bring these players in, they had to sell some of their players. And the one that was going to bring the, bring the biggest price was Frankie de Jong. Now, Frankie de Jong, they knew £72 million. That's all agreed. That is going to be able, that's going to enable us not only to buy players, but to register these players as well. Mm. But what Barcelona wanted to do, and they were almost putting a bit of pressure on Frankie de Jong. Well, you've sorted out this deal, but Frankie de Jong, and he had every right to say it, well, that's all great. Publicly, I'm happy at Barcelona. There was all this stuff going around that he didn't want to go to Man United. But I think there's a subtle difference from saying you're happy at Barcelona and saying you don't want to go to Man United. He never actually said, I don't want to go to Manchester United. He just mm. said, I'm happy at Barcelona. Because publicly, he had to say what he said, simply because all of these issues that were 
associated with his deferred wages were between Barcelona and Frankie de Jong. And Frankie de Jong said, I'm owed this money. I did you a favor by taking a deferred wage during the pandemic. So I'm owed the money. Why should I leave mm. to get that money? And by the same token, maybe Barcelona, by saying in public, Xavi said it, Laporta said it, he's a key player for us. And then, you know, proceeded to play him at centre-back, as you said. Key player, but that's not his position. Mm. What is going on? Everything that was being said publicly was at odds to what was happening privately because they'd agreed this deal with United. I just wonder whether Barcelona, by almost smelling the desperation United were, had to try and get De Jong in, were trying to maybe offset some of those deferred wages to United to maybe get them to renegotiate a deal whereby they wouldn't have to pay the 14 to 17 million pounds that De Jong was owed by them and get United to pay some of those wages. Whereas United mm. were like, this is nothing to do with us. <laughs> Why should we do this? Because we've agreed a deal with Barca. There's no reason for us to get involved in that side of the deal. Hence why publicly United would also always say, yes, there is a deal um, in principle agreed, but we are looking at alternatives to Frankie de Jong because it looks like a complicated and problematic deal to do. So as much as everyone says United have failed because they didn't get de Jong, you could look at it in that way. But then when you look at it, why they didn't end up signing him is because there was a problem and an issue that was of not, nothing to do with them. So why should they almost bail out Barcelona by mm. saying, okay, let's pay the 17 million. That wasn't the value of the player that they'd agreed. So that's why the, the deal didn't happen. It was a completely unique one because if you look at it without those deferred wages issues, the deal gets done. Because as you said, United and Barcelona have agreed and Barcelona more or less made it public that they want to sell him. Mm. So on those circumstances, the deal gets done. But because of this issue, and looking further ahead, they were going to say, we want to renegotiate your contract and you'll be on half the wages. De Jong is like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be have to do, I shouldn't have to do this. Yeah, you just ended up stuck in the middle and now stuck yeah. at Barcelona, which, which probably makes you wonder about the fact that he probably might be in for a move again in January if this saga continues. Um, and with Liverpool's interest in a midfielder, was, was, that, was there any interest from Liverpool into Frankie de Jong? That wasn't the information we were getting. That was the name being bandied around. I think Liverpool is what I call a long-term strategy club. And it came, did come as a surprise when they went in for Artur Mello because I don't think he was ever a long-term target for Liverpool. Mm. The, the, all the noises suggest the long-term targets at Borussia Dortmund and Jude Bellingham. But it was very, very difficult to do that deal in this transfer window, simply because it seems, I'm not, I'm not saying it's official, but it seems that when well, we know how Borussia Dortmund work, they've got that structure where they buy low and sell high some of these amazing players. So last summer, it was Sancho who went. This summer, it was Haaland who went. It would be very, very difficult for them to, to justify two massive departures of high-profile players in the same transfer window, hence why... If, I'm saying this, if Bellingham is the long-term target for Liverpool, the Arthur Mello one almost does make sense because they're mm. not committing anything long-term apart from an option. There's no obligation to buy. It is a one-season loan that works for Liverpool. They can fill the gap in midfield because they've got a few injuries there. And if he does do incredibly well, 
they've got the option to buy him. The only time I've seen Liverpool do something like this was back in the 2020-2021 season when they had those horrendous injuries in mm. Van Dijk, Gomez and Matty. And on deadline day, they went in for Ben Davis and uh, Kabak. No one's telling me that they were long-term targets. And it's been mm. proved the case because Ben Davis didn't play for them and Kabak's no longer at the club. So Liverpool are very, very structured in how they do their business. Luis Diaz was supposed to come this summer, but they were forced into doing that deal in January. But he was a long-term target. Mm. The, the Melo Artur deal doesn't seem like a long-term target, but you can see why they've done it. There's a little bit of panic on deadline day, I guess, with the injuries. And it does make you wonder, and for Liverpool fans, it makes them wonder why, knowing that Liverpool needed a midfielder, would they wait until deadline day? And then for all, I mean, nobody knows how he'll settle, but Artur was is definitely it's a free gamble. I call it like, it's not going to go yeah. badly, but the only way it yes. kind of doesn't work is if he comes in, he, he doesn't actually do anything for Liverpool. Yeah. Um, why, why would a club like Liverpool wait? Obviously they have the strategy, but why yeah, wait? That's until... exactly it. Yeah. I think that's exactly it because just say, for example, they've got two long-term midfield targets. Make no mistake. They would have tried to go for them in this transfer window, but if they don't get them, and you spend all your money on a player that's not your top target, knowing at some point you can get that top target, what do you do? Mm. Liverpool have chosen to go down that route less weight because we've got long-term targets in this, in this position and we believe we can get those players in, but not necessarily in this transfer window. So I remember when um, Liverpool went for Virgil van Dijk, it was the summer, wasn't it? And Southampton weren't happy. There were there was accusations of tapping up. Mm. And I remember on social media, a load of Liverpool fans were saying, is he the only centre-back in world football? Hmm. We're bidding this much. Why are we not going for someone else? Ask any Liverpool fan now, they'd be thinking, thank goodness <laughs> they did not go for another target. Yeah. So I, I think that Liverpool have built up enough trust the way that they've hit the bullseye on so many occasions with their transfer policy that I think the fans, even though short-term they'll say, because it, it just gets inflated with the close you get to deadline day because fans love transfers. Bring a player in. And it's like, there's excitement even when Artur came in, even though some Liverpool fans are thinking, is he the answer? But if you take a step back and see how Liverpool do their business... I think there's enough trust between the fans and the club to think, actually, they've been there before. They've waited for certain players and they've got their primary targets in the end. Let's see if next summer they don't get the long-term targets that then Liverpool fans maybe will have an argument. Well, why didn't we do something last summer then? Which this issue was there. But if they do bring in, for example, Jude Bellingham next summer, I think Liverpool fans next summer will be thinking it's good they didn't spend 50-odd million <laughs> and blow the budget on a midfielder last summer because now we've got Drew Bellingham. Yeah. Fans do love a bit of uh, transfer yeah. hype, especially closer to deadline day. We've obviously spoken about Liverpool, Barcelona, United, three diff very different types of transfer tra strategies. From where you're sitting, do clubs like Brentford and Brighton feel like they're years ahead of clubs like United, Barcelona and so on and so forth because their transfer strategy is very clear uh, and their recruitment process seems to be 
linear and almost perfect on very frequent occasions is but i mean it's very difficult to compare i think the structures of both clubs is excellent i think the structures at clubs like arsenal liverpool city they seem to be on point as well on a different scale because they can spend a lot more money but brighton and brentford know what they're going to do right they they've got to scout the market they they'll go to areas of the world that maybe the bigger clubs might not go because the bigger clubs will know we've got all this money we can just go out and spend big money on someone that everyone's going to know about whereas the Brighton and Brentford they will go maybe somewhere else and and bring in players and then make huge profits on these players I mean Brighton just absolutely incredible to get um, Kukurea um, for 60, well, 64 million pounds it could end up being mm. to sell Kukurea for, for that much money. Incredible. There was, a, there was talk of Caicedo as well maybe going. And I think United were actually interested in buying Caicedo, not only in this window, but when Brighton actually brought him in. But I just wonder whether United's strategy would have been, actually, he, he probably not ready to come straight into the league. He needs to go on loan. And you know what, Brighton, he's only played like 12 games or something for them. Yeah. And yet he's been linked with the biggest clubs now in the Premier League for like 10, 20 times what Brighton bought him for. So in one way, you can say, yes, their structure is fantastic, which it is. But it's, com- it's very difficult to compare like a Brighton and a Brentford to like a Man United because the money that they can spend is totally different. But if you look at, you know, you can like kind of compare like the Liverpool and the cities with the United and the Spurs mm. and the Arsenal or whatever. Uh, from what I've seen with particularly Arsenal and to a certain extent Tottenham, they are aspiring to be what Liverpool and City are doing at the moment. Liverpool and City look like they're in that, that, that stage at that Man United under Ferguson were at that pomp. It was never revolution under Ferguson at United when they were successful. It would literally be one or two players would go, two one or two players would come in. Mm. Whereas United, uh, Arsenal and Spurs are trying to get to that. So last couple of windows, there's been quite a lot quantity-wise coming into the club. I remember Antonio Conte said, Liverpool can go out and spend 85 million on Darwin Nunes. We, we're not in a position to be able to do that. Mm. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you are, because actually Tottenham spent more than Liverpool in the transfer window. But they were in that position where they're going to have to fill more positions than Liverpool. So Tottenham and Arsenal, I think, want to get to the stage when if they have the same budget as they had this summer, they want to be in a position where they'll say, actually, you know what? Squad looks good. We don't need to sell anyone. Everything's in place. Let's get that one player that's going to just take us to that next level. So, for example, Liverpool would be hoping that's what Darwin Nunes is going to do. Mm. City, by the same token, I know it's a different deal, so £51 million for Haaland, but mm-hmm. by the same token, it is, it, with all the other fees and stuff that's involved, it's a big deal there as well. Whereas Spurs will probably think, if we did that with one player, we'd be neglecting so many of the other positions we need to fill. Whereas they seem to be on that road to be able to do what Liverpool and City did in this window in a couple of windows time. That's if everything stays in place, if they can continue to qualify for the Champions League. Uh, I mean, 
to me, the Arsenal one looks a lot more stable than Tottenham. Not that I'm saying Tottenham's unstable, simply because Conte is a very demanding man and he wants everything. And if he doesn't, he's got history of saying, this is not for me now mm. because we're going in a certain direction. But if you're not coming with me in this direction, then we're in trouble. Whereas Arsenal, they said Arteta's the guy. And even though there was all this criticism, particularly at the start of last season, they've stuck with him. And they've said, this is the guy whose philosophy we want at the club and we're going to back him. So Edu, the board and Arteta work together and they bring the players in. United, some critics of United would say that since Ferguson's left, the structure hasn't been there. And they've had four or five different philosophies under four or five different managers, which has resulted in a squad which has got players from four or five different eras. Mm. And But by the same token, they think, you know, they're trying to build a structure now with Richard Arnold, with John Murto, with Darren Fletcher. But yet the players that they brought in, you could argue they've been Eric Ten Hag's picks. Mm. They've been players who played in the Dutch league or have actually played under him. So if it doesn't work out with Ten Hag, does that leave United in a difficult position again? Because then there's going to be a load of players that are so linked to the previous manager as opposed to linked to the philosophy of what the club is. For example, I think if Klopp was to go next season, if he was to leave, they would be, they would be looking for a manager that is as close to Klopp as possible because... Mm-hmm it's so much easier to change a manager than to, to change 10 players who are on long-term contracts, which is the issue that United have had over the last nine years. Mm. And one of the issues they've had this summer is uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and I feel it's only, only perfect that the last player stroke club we talk about is the one that has been talked about most in this window. Ronaldo in the end is still at United and after all the talk, and there's a rumour he's going to bring out an interview where he discusses everything, yeah, yeah. Um, Ronaldo doesn't go anywhere. And assuming the fee would be low, which I imagine it would be, um, for someone who wants to play Champions League football, that's been his ambition. He's spoken about that over and over again. Um, he'd probably potentially take a wage cut, who knows? But Ronaldo ends up stuck at United still, despite everything that's happened in the summer, when Chelsea have gone and bought Aubameyang uh, mm. for a fee and a high salary. Chelsea could have taken a punt on Ronaldo. Why did nobody want Ronaldo in the end? I don't think it was that they didn't want him. There's various factors that play here. All these Champions League clubs, they might have a certain way of playing. I mean, United have a certain way of playing and it doesn't seem like Ronaldo fits that certain way of playing. So he's on the bench uh, since Eric Ten Hag's arrived. Whereas there's the wage issue as well. I think the only way it would have worked would have been if they've mutually terminated the contract. Now, United probably do not want to allow Ronaldo to go full stop, but least of all to a Premier League rival. Mm. Now, if you're going to strengthen someone like a Chelsea, what will that say about United? It wouldn't be a great look. Then they would have risked him being being able to go to Chelsea if he was a free agent. Whereas United could still maintain an element of control on Ronaldo, by dictating where he could go. And if it's not the Premier League, if you go abroad, there's going to be a huge concession on wages. And that club would probably still have to pay a transfer fee as well. He's got 12 months left on his contract, option of a further 12 months. So 
I think it would have been a difficult deal to, deal to do. I think in an ideal scenario, whether they say it publicly or not, would they have wanted Ronaldo out of the door once he'd said he wanted to go and then Ten Hag could just carry on with his vision? Maybe. Mm. But then publicly they're saying we wanted him to stay and he will still be part of the plans under Ten Hag. So it depends who you believe. And I think this interview that they're talking about, you know, he'll tell us after the window. I think the narrative of that interview will, <laughs> will have depended on what happens. Yeah. If he had have left... He would have said, no, 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 I didn't want to leave. It was like this, this, this. And if he stays, no, 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 I didn't want to leave. Yeah. He can he can control the narrative of that interview. In a word, I don't want to throw you under the bus. Was this a case of Ronaldo was actually getting rejected by lots of teams? Or was this just PR galore? Because you know you're going to get hits if Ronaldo is linked to lots of different teams. I don't think he got... Re- I wouldn't say rejected. We're talking about Ronaldo. Mm. Talking about one of the best players that's ever lived. So I don't think it was a case of people didn't want to do the deal. Probably teams didn't want to do the deal on the current terms. If you had Ronaldo on a free transfer and he was willing to take concessions on his wages, how many clubs would say, actually, we could do this deal? There's no transfer fee. He's willing to take a 50% pay cut. We can afford that. We get Cristiano Ronaldo. I think that clubs would have been interested had the terms been different. Well, that was a hell of an insight, Damish. Absolutely loved the conversation. Hopefully you at home are sat there with a bit more of a clue on how transfers work from start to finish and why deals don't go through. And also the fact that a lot of the time who you think's at fault is definitely not at fault. The, the, the news has to go out via a lot of different filters. And by the time you hear it, it obviously um, might be for, for your personal preference a little too late, but as long as it's correct, is I think definitely the moral of the story here. Damas, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and of course, if you're new to the No Rates podcast, and make sure you subscribe, follow, uh, and hit five stars if that is available on the platform you listen to this podcast on. And we'll see you on the next episode. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 